future applications of insect protein for agriculture. Welcome, my name is Jeanette Sutherland and I am looking forward to finding more about alternative protein feeds for farm animals, focusing on laying hens. I'll be speaking to William Clark of Zero Waste Scotland to find out more about the potential of using protein to feed our farm animals. Welcome William, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and the organisation that you work for? Yes, absolutely, Jeanette. Um, so I'm William Clark. My background, I'm a cell biologist. Um, I was lucky enough to do my PhD in aquaculture and then um, moved over into a postdoc working with a, a project, Sustainable New Ingredients to Promote Health. So we were looking for new uh, omega-3 rich ingredients to feed the carp and tilapia in India and Africa. So it was, it was a lovely job, fantastic community experts. I got to travel around and work with people in country to identify materials that they could either harvest or grow themselves and then feed directly to the animals. As I approached the end of that, we were looking at um, terrestrial macrophytes, aquatic macrophytes, uh, seaweeds, microalgae, bacteria, insects. Um, I, I realised that it was working in the circular economy uh, and I didn't know what the circular economy was. So when I returned, um, I, I came across Zero Waste Scotland, um, and as I'm sure you guys appreciate, uh, whether we're looking to, to, to use a material as a feed or a food or as an energy source or a, a biofuel or any other application, it's the nutritional components that we need to think about within that. So I, um, along with other our colleagues, try to bring that view to the bioresource horizons that we see uh, here in Scotland. So. Zero Waste Scotland uh, really exists. We work on behalf of the government and the Scottish people to advance resource efficiency in the circular economy. We work across the whole economy, so built environment, energy, I mean, really decommissioning absolutely anything. But within that, the circular economy is at the core of everything that we do. And sitting just underneath that is the work that I do in the circular bioeconomy. And it's, it's very much about finding ways to work with nature. You know, biotechnology is nature's solutions. So we are really identifying ways to work with nature and alongside agriculture to, to move to a more sustainable space. That's fantastic. Thank you very much. And we're hearing a lot in the press about problems about British agriculture importing a lot of soya. Why is that such a problem from a sustainability viewpoint? Soy is a, bit, a very complicated subject and I mean, we should probably begin with recognising there is a place for soy and animal feeds in the future. We're not going to displace all right here, right now. So, you know, that the, there is already a lot of work going on in terms of developing transparent supply chains within that, but also moving to a much more sustainable way of producing it and utilising it on the other side. But the real problem is, you know, we are, as a global community, we are approaching, I think it's 9.5 billion by 2050. That creates a demand for another 100 million tonnes of protein to come into the system. That's considering humans, but then also animals. And putting animals in, the, in this system, you know, they, they have a place as well. You know, livestock effectively upcycles materials that we as humans can't eat. So, the, you know, animal protein is much closer to us, much easier for us to, to process. 51% of the world's habitable surface is covered by agriculture. Absolutely necessarily, we need to feed everybody. 71% of that, 51%, is uh, used to house and feed livestock. 
So for us to, to increase the amount of protein and recognising that as people become more affluent in urbanisation, they tend to demand more animal proteins, and that's looking at the developing world. The amount of land that we're using to produce soy to drive that system is going to have to increase or we're going to have to find additional land somewhere. So for Scotland, you know, we're great at growing grass, but we are you're always limited by the amount of area you've got. So to, to enable future ambitions and, and livestock, and I, I, I tend to include aquaculture in that story mm-hmm. as well, to enable that future growth without increasing the associated emissions, we need to move to a much more sustainable system and feeds are a critical component of that. So, you know, we're talking about soy and we can look to, you know, the, the, the deforestation, which has already occurred and we can't really put back without getting rid of that system. Um, you know, as it optimises it, the, hopefully the pressure to expand that, that, that system reduces. But there's a lot of things that we uh, here in the UK and the rest of the world can do to start, um, you know, like I said, not displacing soy, but working alongside it to generate more sustainable feed materials, whether that's um, plants, you know, we could be talking about legumes or clovers or things like that, but also um, novel and alternative proteins delivered through the circular bioeconomy. So that would be taking um, um, what is effectively considered waste materials and upcycling it through to proteins that we can use for feeds. But again, nature does such a lovely job of it. You don't just get a protein a lot of the time. You'll get other materials such as fertilizers, oils, you know, antimicrobial peptides and various others that can add value to the whole system. Excellent. So you mentioned before about how a lot of your job is to think about how systems can work better with nature. Uh, I on my Weecroft have free range laying hens and although they do like the bag feed that we give them, they seem to like nothing more than rooting around for the grubs in the soil. Therefore, it seems a sensible option to think about finding a way to feed them insects. What is the situation with this technique and technology at this time? That, that, that's a fantastic question. It's one of the reasons I'm most passionate about insects. It's something that everybody can access. So when you think of insect farming, if you think of insect farming, you, you know, you, you, you think the protex, for example, where it's a, you know, a very sterile environment. The, the farms are essentially contained and they move around the factory and there's robots and artificial intelligence. But, you know, the, the, the flies have been farming themselves for 66 million years. We're just helping them. So people in, whether you're in, uh, I work with Nigerian poultry farmers, I work with people in Tanzania, I work with smallholders here in Scotland to identify ways to do this. So you don't need a lot of technology to build an insect farm and because of the way the regulations sit, if you, you are permitted to live feed the seven species which we are allowed to grow in the EU and UK to your chickens or other animals and that recognises that it's a very natural behaviour for them. You know, you can't, free-range chickens, you're not going to stop them eating insects. No, certainly um, not. It's a very natural food. So I think there's the, the materials that are generated on farm, so pre-consumer vegetable food waste, could be managed on farm and the value kept on farm by feeding it to your chickens. And it's things like that that really you're um, reducing the need for soy on farm because it, you know the poultry are quite a, require quite a high nutrition diet, but at, at the same time the farmers get in all these additional benefits on farm. And um, so it really it moves the value chain back towards farm. If you look to the net, you know the, there's mixed models um, so if you look to the Netherlands they've got centralized but they've also got a decentralized system where farmers are supported 
to diversify their on-farm businesses through insect farming and access this as a technology. The, the other side of that is the insects, depending on what you're farming, are quite stable at the end of their life. So for those operators, it's very difficult to achieve a scale where you're relevant to feed businesses, for example. Um, it's always difficult to valorise waste if it's spread all over Scotland. How do I capture all that, get it to one place, fix it, and then send it back out? So it completely changes how the system works and pushes that value chain back into the rural coastal communities and really to the farmer. Fantastic. So you've mentioned that there's seven species that are allowed. So what species are they? I, I'm most familiar with, with the ones that we concentrate on here, here in the UK in terms of the waste management aspect of it. So uh, black soldier fly and mealworm are the two that we come across most commonly. And there's very good reasons for that. A black soldier fly are, are, are the most robust of the insects. So if you were looking to them to do waste management on your behalf, they're potentially the strongest species to do that for you. But they're also most suited to the types of materials that we would generate. So they, they like about a 70% moisture content in their substrate, which is almost identical to the, the types of food waste that, that, that we generate in the developed world. The other one is mealworm. And the, the key difference between the two is that a black soldier fly don't like lignin cellulose. So they'll tend to avoid that and process everything else in the waste material. The manure, effectively, you get mm-hmm. has quite high lignin cellulose content. So they would be better at food waste and things. But then if you move to mealworm, which is a, a different species, slightly different model, um, they prefer lignocellulosic waste. So you could be looking to manage your vegetable waste through black soldier fly, industrial processing waste, these kind of materials, mm-hmm. as long as it fits with the regulations. But then you could also be looking to manage a lot of the straw materials that are surplus in agriculture at the same time. Looking across the system, though, we do see... Uh, there's two species of mealworm, there's a couple of species of cricket, there's buffalo worms, which are all farmed uh, at scale in Europe. It's just the difference in the, the, the models at the moment. It's still quite early stage here, and it's very much about valorization pathways rather than the, the, the foods industry. And there's a there's a difference between how those uh, regulatory networks are working in uh-huh. the UK. You touched on this a little bit already, but if there was a, a, like a large croft or a farm that had that had waste materials would it be legal for them to actually grow their own insects for for live feeding chickens at the moment yes but i think we have to be careful so the the insects and um, because you farm them for a purpose they're considered as a farmed animal so they're treated exactly the way same way as you would a, a cow a pig or a chicken they have the same welfare requirements health requirements and you, and you have to manage them in this the same way so with the feeds, it's pre-consumer vegetable food waste. So the kind of uh, you know um, residual materials from, we could be talking about carrot tops, for example, but oh, we could great. also be talking about degrading surplus from those materials. They, they do need processed, but it has to be, um, like I said, pre-consumer vegetable food waste in selected category threes. So uh, egg and some egg products, milk and some milk products, cakes and breads and things like that but no animal products can be part of that story exactly the same as a cow it's all about um, um, BSE regulations and food safety regulations so there's a very strong framework around about that that we work within as insects like I say it's exactly the same we think of it exactly the same way as it is as you would a cow having a chicken 
great. So we've, you've talked a wee bit about live feeding. Would that be like you'd harvest the insects and then provide them in some sort of trough or something that chickens would eat themselves? And then is there another way that you can have a product that's dried that can be stored for feeding at other times? Or how does it work as a feedstuff? Yes, but there's a, there's a, a difference between the farmer and then the secondary part of that operation. So as soon as the as soon as you kill the insect, you change the nature of the material, and then you become a feed business operator. Ah, so okay, the regulations yeah. actually change. So if you're life farming and life feeding, you're always a farmer. If you if you work with a network of farmers and ship the live insects out, you're still a farmer, but at that stage you become a feed business operator. There are uh, decentralised plug-and-play systems essentially, so containerised insect systems where you can buy one part of it and it just does that live feeding element or the whole system where it links it across and separates the processes and then you get a, a processed animal protein coming out of the other end of that. So, uh, you know, in theory everything's possible within that as long as it sits with the the appropriate regulations. Uh, the, the, the Dutch are using that to scale across businesses and the processor is separate from the operation. So they always keep their kind of uh, legal remit and they know where they are and their businesses are. That's fascinating. What's the feed value for hens in comparison to traditional feed? Um, so, I mean, this is an area which we're non-commercial. It's sometimes quite difficult to uh, see the exact nutritional parameters of the feeds you know the, the the insects same as us same as chickens are what they eat so it's, yeah. it's very much a, a, a substrate and process dependent uh, question but from previous analysis i would say it's very close to being equivalent to um a, a soy meal or a, a fish meal in terms of the protein content and nutrition. there are a couple of amino acids that we would maybe look to but there are other amino acids which are critical which it does have in spades um, the French system is actually really interesting. You know, um, we're talking about protein here. Um, you know, the, the, the ration for a, a fish working within the regulations mm -hmm. at the moment or a chicken, you would potentially need to think about things like omega-3. So an overfeed in France are actually uh, working with a feed processor for trout, but then also a microalgae company. So an overfeed are valorizing farm residue waste, and then the, 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 the microalgae company work with distillation businesses to valorise the emissions from the chimney, but also the liquid nutrients that come out of the business. And between the two of them, they're, they're combining the, the, the biomass and the protein content, and they arrive at something that's quite close to fish meal. Oh, uh, wow. It's the fish oil component. So it's still a very young industry, and we're yeah. still really learning. And I think there's a lot to be learned from agriculture in terms of design and rations coming through the systems. Say a listener is inspired by this and thinks, oh, I really want to get into this. At the moment in Scotland, can they buy insect feed or is it still in its infancy and it's not really there yet? Um, we're not far off. So there's a few different value chains. Uh, the pet industry is a good example. I, I come from the pet industry a long, long time ago. Um, there's a, a large part of industry is focused entirely on uh, live feeding for lizards or particular species of birds. We're seeing increasing numbers of dog foods and cat foods coming in. So with with, with both, you sometimes get uh, allergenic reactions to proteins in the dog foods because insects are normally encountered. You can reduce a feed that, 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 that's entirely okay for those animals. So very high price point, hypoallergenic feeds for, for, for animals coming through. 
So to answer your question, there is no commercial processed animal protein feeds at the moment, but there is elements and it is developing at pace. Great. And if some of their listeners really inspired and thinks, oh, I'd really like to get into the, the model that you were explaining about, you stay a farmer, you have the live insects and you feed the insects live to your uh, animals. How do they go about like navigating the legislation and getting the, the knowledge to maybe start experimenting? What would be your advice? Um, so, so like I said, I mean, the, the, the insects are considered a farmed animal. I mean, it, it feels really weird because you're, <laughs> you're dealing with 10,000 of them in a, a, a tiny wee space, but the regulations uh, transpose almost exactly. And that's why for farming animals, it's, you know, farmers should absolutely be at the core of it and understand exactly what they do, how to get out the best out of the system, how, how, how to, to, to really look after the, the animals. Um, so there's... The, the, there are very few barriers and the, the regulators have taken a very proactive approach and I would applaud, you know, Animal Plant Health Agency, Food Standards Scotland and SEPA and the other UK operators in terms of seeing this as an opportunity and working with the industry really to move from a linear standpoint in terms of the regulations across to a circular position, you know, thinking about the, 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 the end of waste management. So really, the regulators are always happy to help. The system is already in place and there's businesses who are in a position to help. Um, I would highlight New Generation Nutrition over in Holland. Uh, so they work as part of the Interreg programme. They do free introductory seminars for people to come. They're non-commercial so they can open up the Dutch sector in a way that the operators won't and tell you as an interested party, as a smallholder looking to feed your chickens, exactly how to do it. Doing my day job, I'm more than happy to talk to people and more than happy to work across organisations too. We've we've discussed a bit about the practicalities and how the legislative matrix at the moment is quite favourable, but obviously the importance of focusing on insects as farmed animals and ensuring their welfare and everything like that. But moving away from this to more of a looking at it from a consumer's point of view, obviously as somebody who keeps hens, I'm very well aware that they really like rooting around for insects and that. But do you think that this could be off-putting for consumers, as maybe not everyone's aware of this aspect of hens? <laughs> That's a really interesting question. So, um, looking to aquaculture, so sitting within the regulations at the moment, processed animal feed can go to uh, Scottish aquaculture. Um, SRUC and the University of Stirling Institute of Aquaculture uh, did a study a few years ago. Uh, asking that exact question of consumers and I think it was 85% of Scottish consumers are more than happy for insects to be included in the feed for salmon and to buy those products as long as they fully understand the sustainability story behind it and the, the materials are labelled appropriately. So I think if we're very honest about where things are coming and the, 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 what we're aiming towards on behalf of the consumer, that they're more than happy. And I, I would say the same for the you know, we work with Tesco's, Sainsbury's, Cooperative, all of the major retailers are in the, the insect space, but also looking at the alternative food space and moving towards a much more form, collaborative, co-creative food system, here in Scotland, but also at the UK level. Well, that's great. And just taking like maybe a, more of a sort of a global view, what would be the environmental benefits if we could move more poultry into using insect protein? 
really quite vast <laughs> in terms of this the size of the poultry market now the amount of birds that are grown i, th I think there's like now uh, there, there, there's a protein story there but there's potentially also a health and welfare story for these types of battery chickens i don't know if you know uh, there's a guy called aiden leak he was a nuffield scholar he did a lot of work a brilliant work i, I love his report as well um, looking at the the benefits of life feeding poultry in that situation it feeds into the natural reaction of the birds. So you start to, you can actually track the reduction in antibiotic usage in your flock as you introduce the insects. Oh, and that's uh, through the behavioral aspect of it. So that's the first time maybe they've had a natural reaction to a regular thing on the ground and uh, their whole life. But then there's also the functional feed element of that as well. So chitin has an immunological function in birds, but also plants, but fish as well. Um, so it's, we're still at very early stages of understanding that the effects of the antimicrobial peptides that are in the insects, you know, they've evolved in food waste. They're, they're amazing. They eliminate E. coli, all sorts of food waste pathogens. They knock um, fertilizers, pesticides, pharmaceuticals wow. out of the materials. Um, so there's a whole story building behind this, which really feeds into that that uh, the, the, the whole system approach so you know we can we can talk about the protein as feed we can talk about the, the avoided emissions from that land use change in, uh, in the soil but it really propagates through the whole system and um, fertilizers is a big story at the moment and um, so a huge part of the value chain um, about 20 percent of the input material that you put into black soldier fly comes out as grass so we're working with colleagues at srgc actually to understand the full uh, characteristics of the frass, but also the, the, the benefits of the application of frass to fields. And there, there's some really interesting things coming out of that, right? the, the, the way that the nitrogen is bound into our matrix and how that affects the, the, the growth of the plants. But again, the immunological effect of that on um, various pathogens that you would experience in, in fields for particular crops here in Scotland. So it's really quite... A, yeah, it's a, very exciting times. Yeah, yeah, very, very much so, very much so. Fantastic. Now, we've focused quite a bit on hens and chickens in this one, but are there ways that you could use it as a feed for other farm animals like pigs and cattle and things like that? So I've only ever come across one experiment looking at ruminants and they built an artificial stomach. Um, I'm not really... The, 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 you know, there's uh, the BSE, the, there's, there's regulatory reasons that you potentially wouldn't put an animal protein through through, through the ruminants, but certainly uh, pigs and poultry is regulated for at the EU level. Um, it's a key part of, of, of the kind of thinking going forward as well. Um, but the, the, the main opportunities at the moment uh, re really sit with the agriculture industry. Um, however, I would highlight we've had huge amounts of interest from Scottish feed business operators looking to access these kind of benefits and we've touched on them all but it's very much a way to open up not just economic benefits but also kind of ecological and environmental benefits through the other products at the same time. Fantastic. So I'm based on the on the west coast and sky and obviously there's quite a lot of aquaculture around us and mm. the, the feed mostly comes uh, from away and then gets uh, sent in. Do you think there's an aspect when uh, with insects that we could start growing more aquaculture feed closer to where the cages are? Uh, very much so, uh, very much so. And I, I would also add um, our view of insects is maybe quite limited because I'm seeing other marine species 
starting to come into this thinking and that really starts to get to that but i mean my job is really looking for opportunities within sectors but then it's the ones between that quite often get really excited so you know um, with the insights that you know the, there's the, the food application and there's various other kind of fertilizers and things like that but you get the non-food quite quickly as well so chitin the, the, the exoskeletons is an excellent bioplastic substrate oh, really? example and it carries the functional properties through so there's benefits right the way through the whole system and like i say it links across you know horticulture agriculture livestock agriculture into aquaculture which they're really starting to blend into each other and then you go off into all sorts of really exciting non-food applications and potential you know thrash is a brilliant it can be turned into a material to treat water so we could be talking about pulling nitrate back out you know biochars these kind of things actually come into the, the, the thinking as well so the um, somebody stole the Green Revolution a number of years ago, and I would like to take it back. And it is these kind of circular bioeconomy. Farming's the original bioeconomy. We need to recognise that and work with farming and the system and the, the, the agricultural system. And uh, like I said, it's the, the within, but also the between that gets really exciting. That's excellent. Thank you very much for all your time today. And from my point of view, it's really exciting to hear about new farmed animals options coming down the road. So, and all these exciting possibilities as a cutting edge. So thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Jeanette.